Hello and welcome to another episode of Unsourced Wall. As always, my name is Elvis and I am your host. Alright, so it's NYCC week, so that means that it's going to be breaking news all day and throughout the weekend, so if anything pops up while I'm recording, I'm going to have to splice it in, so don't worry, or I'll just save it to next week if there is really no time and it's down to the wire. Just to get the agenda going, it's going to be any kind of movie news that pops up, television news, comic news, a Venom spoiler cast, so I'm going to put the timestamps up. Don't worry, you can skip past it if you want to go in spoiler free. What I read this week and then a Halloween discussion of Swamp Thing, the Wes Craven movie. Just like I said, I put up a poll on my Twitter account and that won in a landslide. So we're gonna get into that nitty gritty. So first off, let's move on into movie news. Let's see what's going on. First off with movie news, we have finally confirmation about who is gonna be playing Renee Montoya. And shockingly of all, it's Rosie Perez. Now I have to say, and I did not see that coming one bit. It is such a left field thing. I do not think that she was even on any of the shortlists that I scoured and that I mentioned on the show. So how they came to the decision to cast Perez is inconsequential though because I think that Perez is very lively and honestly when used right a very kind of gripping and insanely entertaining actress. I have no doubt that with the character and in the movie that hopefully if they write her well and they have scenes that really do play to her strengths then I'm all for it because that sounds like be a really fun time unless of course they don't and it's just more of a waste and that would just be a shame but fingers crossed that turns out to be something good all right so we have breaking news which is that the new trailer for aquaman has been released and it is huge it is a five minute trailer it's pretty much a clip it's a clip in all but name of one of the i'm guessing second act action sequences where black manta and a couple of the atlantean guard are chasing mira and aquaman in some sort of coastal town and i got to say i was pretty down on the first trailer but the story and the direction look pretty great it definitely speaks out to me a lot more i do like the adventurous tone it's taking i do like how juan is directing these long sequences that we do see and all this setup and choreography it looks perfect but my god i do not want to sit through two hours of momoa and amber heard's acting the fact that we have a five minute trailer that showcases them just makes me think about that even more because you think that maybe they would have like a couple of good stuff going on but no they just don't seem to have any kind of verb to them i just don't think that they're good fits and that they will be entertaining moa especially maybe it's just how they're writing him it does feel like they're making him some sort of gormless very very goofy kind of character which is to i guess contrast mira's more stoic straight man attitude it just doesn't feel very engaging it feels like i don't know Appen and costello go to atlantis because of the whole fetch quest aspect of the plot they're doing too but like i said story looks great directing looks great but it just feels like that quality of like dialogue writing no but overall yeah it looks pretty good in all the other ways so it's been a mixed bag and i hope that people who were able to like really invest in momoa and heard right now as aquaman and mira they're excited that's nice that's really nice Seemingly enough, there doesn't seem to be much in terms of Marvel news. So let's move on to the first look, the first poster of new Hellboy movie, which is based on elements from the middle of the series with the wild hunts and all of that, which really try to delve into Hellboy's backstory and the whole apocalyptic nature of his being. And so that sounds really fun. The poster itself, it just seems like a bit of a shame that it's just another full body torso look of the design since that's already what we've had for ages. It seems like they could have done something a little bit more visually entertaining, a little bit more distinct, because now it just seems like, okay, what else? 
I know that there was some controversy about the tagline, which is legendary as fuck, shortened to legendary AF as you know you would in internet slang lingo speak. I don't see the problem with it. I think they're just trying to get hip with it. It doesn't seem hip that poster. It's cool, but it doesn't seem like it's leaning into hipness. I think that at best it's like marketing. You expect marketing to do this kind of stuff, so we'll let it slide. Overall, the design still looks good. I just wish there was something else they'd be showing us. Which, coincidentally, is just what the breaking new poster from NYCC has done for Hellboy. It's showing us a lot more. It's showing us Nimu, some of the demons. I think maybe Hakate or the Baba Yaga. It's unclear. I'm pretty sure it might be Baba Yaga. I'm gonna have to check back on that. Plus some of the BPRD crew, including Alice. So that's pretty cool. And and I guess the tagline is what the tagline is. But it's good to know they're, they're putting more work into making this seem like a really grand thing. Which this poster definitely does. So great. Two thumbs up. And that's it for movie news so far. Like I said, there's probably going to be more movie news as we go along, and I'll have to splice that in. Moving on to television news, we have the first trailer for Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is directly based on the Roberto Aguirre Sacasa Archie comic of the same name. It's taking a lot of the visual, a lot of the story content straight from this comic, and initially... That really did worry me because that comic is probably one of the worst horror comics I've ever read. It has no imagination. It has no creativity. There's no spark to it. It's just a lot of rehashing of other things, other better things, while hiding under the banner of homage. Like, this is a homage to Rosemary's Baby. And it does literally just rip off characters from it. Not even changing the names in some parts and just pasting it into here. And really, that's such a shame because I don't think Sakasa is a bad writer, but this is probably one of his worst works of all time like it's definitely bad so i've been waiting for the trailer before i pass a kind of judgment on this series because with that background i didn't have a lot of hope for it and while i don't think it's gonna be so fantastic i do commend the trailer for making it seem like the show has its own identity there's already been reports about them doing homage episodes like twin peaks or a slasher movie directly naming the movies and shows that they're going to be inspired by for those episodes and like that's a bit lame but so far the actual trailer shows a bit more of a unique viewpoint i mean it's still standard stuff but at least it's trying to make it itself i think that the actors and characters look pretty entertaining it has that retro aesthetic which i think is fine and so hopefully it turns out to be pretty entertaining. I didn't like that, and there's been reports that there's not going to be a lot of Salem. And in the trailer, we only see one shot of Salem. I think it's because, and I've heard rumors that the actress for Sabrina, Kiernan Shipka, is allergic to cats. So they had to lessen that role because they really wanted the actress for the role. It's a shame. I don't see why they couldn't just do, like, the robot again. I know that people call the robot goofy, but Salem is Salem. I think he can handle being a bit goofy. So yeah, it looks okay. I still think that there's a lot of ways it could go wrong, especially with this foundation, which is very rocky. But so far, it does have at least a specific and distinct feel to it. So good on them. Moving on to DC, which had a huge spat of TV news. First off, we have a lot of casting news, which is that... We get the first clip of Harley Quinn, the cartoon show that they're doing for the DC Universe streaming service. And with a confirmed cast, now we have a lot of the same kind of cast they're using for their different shows like Alan Tudyk as a, some recurring character. I didn't take too much of a specific look at it because it's not something that I'm that interested in. But one of the main things that really did catch my eye is that people are really reticent about Kaylee Coco from The Big Bang Theory and all that doing the new voice for Harley Quinn for the show. And I have to say, I think that it seems like a good fit. 
one comment that I saw online was that remember the last time they used a Big Bang Theory voice for the character? It didn't turn out so well, referring to the Batman and Harley Quinn direct-to-video animated movie that Bruce Timm did a while back. And I have to say, the actress portraying Harley Quinn in that movie was not the problem with that movie. It was definitely just that it was really lamely done and written and executed. The actress, the voice actress, is fine. And I think we're all set to see just more Harley Quinn actresses. I don't think that that's a character in general that needs to be like really limited to a specific actress or not because it seems like a pretty versatile one to do so i mean fine i think that it looks pretty okay moving on to what seems to be the gem so far of the dc universe streaming service we have finally the casting reveal of negative man which (laughs) which turns out to be matt bomer from you know american horror story and blue collar and he's a very enigmatic sort of presence and he has a really great voice which i think is essential even more so to negative man than it is to robot man so i can't wait i think that so far doom patrol of casting the aesthetics and pretty much all the effort going into it definitely has a lot of potential writing behind it so if it can't capitalize on that potential then that will be like i think the death knell for the DC Universe streaming app because so far everything seems to be going for it. So if that messes up, then what hopes do the other shows have? Titans is going to be a weekly Netflix show anywhere outside of the United States. So that does give me some pause about exactly what they want to do with this streaming service. I mean, it doesn't seem at all like they're putting their best foot behind it. It seems like they just want it as a stopgap before Warner Brothers has their own streaming service and then they're just going to yank it out. And that is really lame. It really is. Now, lastly, and perhaps something that is really dear to me in terms of DC's TV news is the casting of Lobo has finally been revealed as well as the first promotional image. So I'm be putting that up right now for the character in full design and it's for Krypton. He's going to be appearing in Krypton season two and he looks great. The actor is Emmett J. Scanlon and wow, it looks amazing. He's wearing somewhat earth-like clothing it's got like a denim jacket and leather pants and all these affectations i know that they also have plans and they still might have plans to introduce Hawkman and hawk girl so hopefully he's not a character that is underused or written off in a really weak way i do give krypton a lot of the benefit of the doubt because it had such a great first season and it knew what to do and it knew how to parse out its plot and character arcs in a way that didn't seem too forced but also had good momentum and used the time it had wisely eight episodes or so was perfect my favorite part of design just before we move on is the eyes i like how it looks kind of modeled it looks very inhuman which is great he's not overall though he is mostly like a pain of human being no there's something unnatural going on there at least to like our sensibilities it's perfectly alien where it needs to be so two thumbs up now lastly we head on to comic news which is a mixed bag of oh my god what the fuck are they doing let's start off with probably the worst news i've heard is that finally fight club 3 from chuck palaniuk and Cameron Stewart is in production officially. It was announced right after Flight Club 2 came out, but it has been and thankfully has languished in development hell since then. But nope, it's got actual cover art and they are rolling along with it. And Fight Club 2 is the pinnacle of nonsense. As a sequel and as something that's meant to have some sort of poignant or really engaging metaphysical message, it just fires no cylinders. It is 
just insanely horribly written and a huge waste of time. I think the first three issues or so, they try to work on some character. They try to do some extrapolations for the characters and how they would be as seen in the original novel. But then it just goes far up into its own ass with regards to like, hey, let's try to be creative and wacky and meta and really, really thematic and symbolic. And it just fumbles every single one of these and they all comes crashing down into one huge collapsing black hole of pretentiousness and like aren't we smart no so i am in no way looking forward to fight club 3 the only silver lining about this is that it means that palinix proposed comic sequel to rant is postponed or at least not in active production so thank god for that because rant is probably one of my favorite books that he's done and i do not want to see that tarnished in the same way another comic news we have from dc is that bendis is going to be headlining a teen hero imprint called wonder comics he's going to be frontlined by titles such as young justice the wonder twins dial h for hero and something called naomi now, Bendis will be writing Naomi along with David Walker and Young Justice Solo. The artists will be Jamal Campbell and Patrick Gleason, respectively. Wonder Twins, surprisingly enough, will be done by Mark Russell and art by Stephen Byrne. Dialysis for Hero from Sam Humphreys with art by Joe Quinones. I mean, it's a mixed bag. I don't trust Bendis whatsoever. I think his Superman run has been insanely patchy and misguided. With Teen Heroes, Bendis, I think, doesn't have the tact or the actual foresight to not make it a meandering and incredibly entertaining chaotic mess. Especially since, you know, we have all these different characters and just how they relate to each other back when they were actually a team. And who knows if Bendis will try to tap into that. I just can't see this ending well, especially with Connell. I won't comment on Naomi because there hasn't been any kind of reveal plot details about it, but it would be interesting to see what he does as an original character that is meant to be a part of this teen superhero community. Wonder Twins though and Dialtra Hero, I have a lot more hope for. Mark Russell, Wonder Twins, Blue Chimp, Chasing the Powers, it seems like a perfect fit, especially when I do something that is a bit more tied to the DC Universe. I think the last time we did something that was so tied, it was Prez, which worked perfectly. And Wonder Twins, it seems like a bit of a one-off that can really use a even and really sharp hand to it. And Russell is the perfect fit for that. He's also been announced at doing a new DC Black Label comic called Second Son. I don't know. It seems like he's being utilized more as part of the core team. And if that's the end result, is as him as one of the newer architects that's coming into the fold, then I guess it's kind of worth it. Humphreys and Dallas Hero. I love China Mabel's Dial H run. I thought that was amazing. I love it. I had the deluxe edition of it. It's perfect. It's a perfect little recapitulation and reintroduction about that concept. I'm glad Pendis isn't doing it. And Humphreys is hit or miss, but I did really enjoy his Green Lanterns run. I don't know, it could be fun. Fingers crossed for those two and we'll get back to this in the future. Now there's some other tidbits like Hellboy's main story arc finally coming to an end. The BPRD series which is ending just the insane mega arc that began way back in Sea of Destruction. I haven't read as much BPRD as I hope to and hopefully now that it's you know wrapping up finally they'll be releasing omnibus editions like they did for the main Hellboy series because those are great and they're really accessible so I'll be on the lookout for those. 
Anyway, that's it for news. I'll be splicing in some stuff. Some stuff has already come out. So if you're going to hear some audio fluctuations throughout this, then that's the reason why. Let's move on into the Venom spoiler cast. All right. So I'm going to put the timestamp in the description. Skip over it if you want. But it's starting now. First things first, I just want to be forthright immediately. People are mentioning like the weird, wacky rom-com slash buddy cop feel to it. And they're completely right. But it's a simple movie. It's got a simple story, simple characters with some very standard and very generic character dynamics thrown in. It's not really something like, oh my god, it's it's crazy one minute, crazy the next. It's, no, it's not. There's nothing out there that, that's going to be like, this movie just went in some sort of weird direction. No, there's actually no moments like that. Another thing that I want to address is that a lot of people are calling this a dated movie. And I don't think it's dated in a lot of the ways people are meaning. A lot of people are meaning dated to being like, oh, it's underwritten because that's dated since we have this whole library of superhero movies right now that are extremely well-written. No, I mean, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp and we have Doctor Strange, which were far worse written than this movie is. And if we're going from a writing standpoint, Venom is a very poorly structured movie. It's messy. The plot itself is, like I said, it's very straightforward. So that mitigates the effects. But where you really see it is the character dynamics. Because while they're simple, they leapfrog over the place. It's like we're missing chunks of the movie where these things were developed. You have characters going with very little fanfare and with very little sense of progression to either more understanding or more forgiving, all that kind of stuff. And it just feels out of place because this movie is centered around well connections and relationships that's a little undercurrent there it's about eddie brock coming to terms with himself coming in terms of venom venom coming in terms of eddie brock and humanity them with Anne weighing and all that stuff but it just doesn't feel earned nothing in this feels earned it just seems like we're missing chunks of the movie where you see this actually be dealt with and so that's another thing is that i believe that a couple days ago tom hardy said that some of his favorite parts of the movie got cut out and it was like 30 minutes of the movie is gone i believe that because the character stuff isn't something that would have affected the plot of the movie it does feel like the movie is short and that it's missing something so if anything was cut then i believe it might have been that kind of stuff and it's a goofy movie i think a lot of people are saying like oh it's inconsistent in tone it's not really i think it just feels inconsistent in tone because you're not seeing the progression but it's huge humorous it's goofy it's corny from the get-go and some of the first extended scenes that we get from the beginning of the movie feel like straight out of corny movies like species or the astronaut's wife that whole sort of alien monster creature features subplot that was not really well handled in the early 90s early 2000s with this running and honestly very bland subplot one of symbiotes trying to make it to you know the main conflict point of the movie in san francisco it just feels like one of those slower alien invasion type movies but it's the most lame alien invasion because we don't really get any kind of world building for it there's like a line or two but we don't ever get any actual in-depth investigation or digging into it i mean i feel like i just want to get all this straight out because i want to state my real opinion of this movie just my actual personal opinion which is that i enjoyed it i really did enjoy it with something like i said ant-man the wasp or dr strange i felt like i wasted my money that wasn't the case for this it's light it's a little funny it's just not well structured it's not well paced out the characters are too flat even though they try to make them a little bit three-dimensional it just doesn't work because we don't really see the characters dig into themselves even though it's implied that they do and 
really, it's a shame because I think that if they had had more of that, and it might exist out there, I don't know what Tom Hardy was referring to when he mentioned stuff that was cut out, but if that exists out there, then I would definitely see an extended cut because so far, it's really a hampered movie and it didn't have to be, I don't think. I think that they could have really amped up that character moments because I think one of the biggest things is the relationship between Eddie and the Venom symbiote. Their relationship, you think, would be the core movie. And it is, but it does suffer from what I've been mentioning. You have Eddie being freaked out by the symbiote for the most part of their introduction to each other. And then later on, he feels very betrayed by it. And he's like, why would you do this? Like, I trusted you. What about us? What about we? And I'm thinking, like, you have shown nothing but reluctance and annoyance and fear about this thing. I feel like there was chunks of bonding that we could have been shown. And the movie feels so short that if you would even add it in that chunks of bonding with the rest of the scenes that you have it would have felt a little bit more fleshed out and I think that's something that we could have seen without feeling bored by it because as the movie gets rolling it's all plot it's all beat 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 which does get a bit boring there's no time to slow down and it's entertaining enough that it works because the movie itself is very simple if it's all beat then it's gonna be like all right and then i'm watching it for the characters and the characters are funny but they're not engaging i don't feel for them i really enjoy tom hardy as both the venom symbiote he does the voice for and eddie brock i would watch in a movie with those characters on the flip side you have people saying oh no a movie like upgrade was a better Venom movie than Venom and the only thing I can think of is that they like that upgrade was a bit more nihilistic and it's a great movie it's a great cold horrifying movie but the thing that makes or breaks Venom for me is that it's very boisterous too and it plays that to the hilt in an excessive amount of ways so yeah the worst parts about this movie would be that for all this development that they're trying to give Eddie and the symbiote, they never really feel like they're combined. It just feels like Eddie is leaving the symbiote on autopilot, is just letting him cruise control. And that's a shame because, like I said, they already have the moment where they're like, what about us? What about we? And that doesn't have any basis before or after that scene. You never have that part where like, okay, we are Venom. Of course he says it, but it never feels that way because there's no part where Eddie is helping maneuver to sue at all. There's no like, okay, they're one person, they're acting together, or Eddie is being physical as well. You see that? <laughs> you see that most of all in the finale because Eddie at one point just dies. He really dies and the symbiote brings him back to life in order to help him escape. And so like, okay, so the symbiote can really do whatever he wants. And it has been. You think at that point, like maybe they could have like shared a moment together before like becoming like one big thing to finally defeat the villain after going through like this lowest point. But no, it's still just a Venom symbiote doing what it wants and how it wants and all that kind of stuff. And the world is really messily defined for you know the plot to even matter to us you get venom making some one-off liners about where he and the other symbiotes come from and their society but it's really just one here one there one there and you're never explored so that's what i mean by it seeming like the world's least interesting alien invasion because you have like okay so why and you have the idea that the symbiotes that came to earth are like a squad unit meant to be like first offense infiltrators to Earth. You have Venom mentioning that the main villain in the movie, Riot, was their team leader and that the name Riot means team leader in Venom speak. But what does Venom mean then? Because that's his name. It's his flat out name. So what was Venom's purpose on the mission? And you have other two symbiotes who don't get any kind of flair whatsoever. They die off screen. So those were criminally underused and it just feels very lackadaisical. And I think that Michelle Williams was underused a bit as well. I like her character and some of the scenes with her, but there's just not much to them. It just seems like a very small role. 
The best parts though, I know that there are scenes that are very leaked, like the Venom kiss, which is actually a She-Venom cameo, and I like that. I do always enjoy when comic book adaptations, they take the opportunity to merge together different parts of the comic, different parts of the series and the runs in a fluid way so that they don't have to waste time like setting it up for like some sort of sequel. So She-Venom's appearance I thought was like a nice nod and I enjoy that kind of stuff. My favorite part of finale is that even though we don't really see like the connection between either of these hosts and their symbiotes, they both really believe in a personal connection with them. So at one point, they're left bereft of their symbiotes and just left like on their own. And then they just start rushing each other to punch. And that's one of my favorite parts because it shows at least for a moment that they have some agency, that they do have some actual investment in this conflict. Riot as a villain is honestly unsettling. Like he's going around indiscriminately killing and like body hopping hosts even at point like little children. And that's what I mean about the world building because we don't really get any background or like like I said one off lines. Venom is like oh he's a bad guy he hates me and it's like that. You just need more background. It could have been something a little bit more eerie. I think it handled being a goofy corny alien invasion movie well in terms of just the atmosphere and the energy to it. But yeah it's hampered by all these other things. I enjoyed it. I didn't regret paying for it. I think it's not as good as Ang Lee's Hulk. I know a lot of people are comparing it to Ang Lee's Hulk, which is a masterpiece. This, at least, I think is definitely mid-MCU range. It's better than, say, you know, Iron Man 3. I enjoyed it a lot more than Iron Man 3. I enjoyed it a lot more than Iron Man the Wasp. I enjoyed it more than Civil War. I enjoyed it more than Doctor Strange because it's simple. It's a bit corny, a bit goofy, and it's short. It's light. It's lighthearted as well. And honestly, it's kind of fun. Personally, I like simple movies as long as they are simple in a way that does reveal a lot of character. And this is too simple without revealing much character. If it had more character, I would honestly rate this as one of my favorite comic movies because it would definitely check a lot of the stuff that I have on my list overall. But it doesn't have that. It tries to, but it doesn't work out. So I have to give this maybe like a 6 to 7 out of 10. It's enjoyable enough. And honestly, it does have a nice sense of enthusiasm about itself. I mean, if you're interested in it, then yeah, check it out. Moving on to what I read this week. And my God, it was a great week. All right. This is probably one of the best weeks I've read. So let's do some quick shots because there's so many that were fantastic. I want to get the straight bullet points down, making some notes of the ones that I believe were particularly special. All right. So let's get in first with uber number 16 and this is one of the issues that makes me realize that this is another one of those rare gillen books that i actually enjoy but it's definitely coming to an end it delivers such great raised tension really thrilling moments but it leaves enough up in the air to give the story at least some more lead ground before it finally has to wrap up but it definitely feels like a wrap up there's really not much left they can do in terms of like the story or characters at least the ones focused on in this issue because they are i think at their end point they've reached a certain point where the only thing they can do is kill him off, which they might. I mean, it's a war comic and we haven't really gotten a full ending capitulation. So they might show up there as cannon fodder. But right now, they are, I think, in a good place to focus more on main plot, end game stuff. Which the final page, which is honestly really, really exciting, shows. I think one of the best panels this year I read was a man getting turned into alien magic stone rock. So... <laughs> great that's great on Gillen's and I really enjoyed his series I know a lot of people 
rightfully call this repetitious and formulaic and that it has a problem with actually progressing the story in any kind of meaningful way this issue really does show that yeah that's true but sometimes it, it's able to and those issues become the most memorable of all really enjoyed uber number 16 then we have the magic order number four by mark millar and olivier copiel and it's okay it, i'm gonna be quick with this one because it just feels by the numbers at this point it's not bad it's not great it's just way too easy to see where things are going to go especially for a mark millar book because he does work on a formula he doesn't try to rock the boat too much and this is probably one of the worst examples of that because there's nothing really exciting about it and the characters just seem stuck usually there's a little more character beats to it and you don't really get that point here they have or at least they start at probably their most refined point from the beginning of the series so you get one beat and then there's kind of stagnant and that's what it feels like it's stagnant in terms of any kind of thrills which is usually what i try to expect from a mark millar book but that's not the case here border town number two now this is a mixed bag of emotions because what i feel worked about issue one still works but everything that i found lacking last time also remains so you have like i said focus on the actual story structure on the actual genre which mitigate some of the lesser more preachy more very blunt lecturing aspects that's good that sticks but again we still have a lot of preachy and very blunt lecturing going on for now i'm gonna guess that's going to be a staple of the series because at this point it feels very forced it felt forced in the first issue but i let that a little bit go because hey we're trying to establish character so this character and this sequence is very much like okay blunt dear kids they have a lot of force of will so that makes sense you want to establish that but now it just feels like out of place so they're regrouping after encountering supernatural force and then you have lines like ice is as evil as spricabra or anything like that uh, come on you don't have to work at it that much all right but still I think that some of the character moments remain the real great ones that show a little bit more of the flair like in the first issue work they work here same characters Quinta I really enjoy I like his backstory I do like that they're showing a little more of the alt-right kid because he's apparently gonna be playing a bigger role in the series as we go on so I do like that they're showing a little bit more development there in even if he's a villain so that's nice I think the only real downgrade with this issue was that there's some antagonist shifting going on since the chupacabra was the kind of main villainous force in the first issue we're trying to shift away from him to like a greater threat in the supernatural world and so this issue really tries to downplay that we saw chupacabra kill and maim a young family of a young daughter in the first issue issue and that we're now supposed to like him and find him cute and like the team pet it doesn't work it really it really doesn't work it feels very unsatisfying so yeah i think that's a real sore point still enjoy the series but i guess right now i'm gonna have to acknowledge that each issue is gonna be a bit weak in some respects for me but you know i'm still be reading it next up is the lone ranger number one by mark russell and it's a mixed bag russell of course is known for his devastatingly sharp wit and takedowns in this series but this definitely feels like the most unbalanced at that while it does have a good adventurous core of some exciting moments some humorous moments there's large stretches where it just focuses on sending out the message while of course he's never been shy about the message in his other series in this it feels very much like okay adventure stuff and then like a large chunk of political stuff adventure a large chunk of political stuff it slows down the reading and maybe that's just a sign that maybe the ip isn't quite right for russell's standard of writing still enjoy a lot of it but it does feel like 
he missed a tact here and there. It's not that the message is itself badly written. It just slows down the reading right in its tracks. It drags it out a little bit too much. All right, now we have Dead Rabbit number one from Jerry Duggan and John McCrae. And it is amazing. It's a fantastic first issue. And they come out firing on all cylinders. They don't take any prisoners. They knock the door down. It's an amazing first issue. And it's everything I love about this kind of crime comic. This kind of really very vital, raunchy, and very kind of cynical and humorous sort of crime comic. If you're familiar with McCrae's work, especially with Garth Ennis, it feels just like that fits right in alongside stuff like hitman or <laughs> or some of the less savory stuff definitely doesn't miss a beat it is at times eerie cold heartfelt and invigorating Duggan's writing combines a cynical touch with some parts especially some very honestly gripping moments tender moments of humanity which McCree is able to jump back and forth between flawlessly with a masterful flair and energetic style so it works it, it's really something that you should be making a note of checking out because it is definitely going on my pull list and I can't wait for issue two it's that good so next up is the dreaming number two which like I said in the first issue I really enjoy because while I know that Cy Spurrier's writing quirks can be kind of annoying and kind of bothersome it works and lends itself a lot better here and has pretty much all of his favorite little writer and character archetypes like very cynical very dry very fourth wall leaning and because it's a dream world dreamscape and they have to deal with like you know people and stories and all that stuff it is executed very stylistically and incredibly entertainingly with no small graciousness to Bilquis Eberly for writing the arts. It definitely helps a lot and really sell the atmosphere and the very quirky and humorous nature of everything while also maintaining a serious tone to it when it needs to. And this second issue, I pretty much described the second issue totally with that as well. It's a very lucid issue with a lot of very internal uh, recapitulations. I think that Spurrier reuses one of his favorite <laughs> one of his favorite writing gimmicks, which is to use a confessional. He used it a couple of times in his crossworks where you have the characters, you know, speak out loud, really, really break to the reader and it works. It has a nice kind of easygoing edge to it that doesn't sacrifice any kind of forward or plot momentum or character beats. So I really enjoyed this issue and the art, like I said, is amazing and it ramps up stuff and honestly, I really enjoy these characters and I do do like that Ziggy blank man <laughs> is back again. He only shows up a couple of pages, a couple of panels and I'm glad he's a recurring character and that he's not dead or forgotten. So yes, thank you very much. So to lend this on a bit of a dour note, we do have a walk through hell number five, which apparently was the ending of the first arc. No one told me this, but at the end of the issue, it says end of book one. And that does put me a little bit at unease because it just ends. The arc just ends. I think that that might have been something that would happened after the fact that they decided that this is probably like where we should put the first trade at instead of letting it end the arc naturally because it has no proper stopping point. I like the issue. I really do. I think that it's still doing a lot of good stuff and it's still rather engaging and really emotionally resonant. But then it just ends. It's like, end of book one. What? So reading is in trade, then whoa. 
This is really, really bad. But I don't want to let that spoil the reading of the issue for me. I enjoyed it. I just don't think it works as an ending or it's a stopping point. There's no natural conclusion. There's no natural kind of cliffhanger. It's just this is the end for now. So hopefully we get however long this is going to go because this was not well handled or executed at all, at least so far. Anyway, that's it for what I read this week. Let's move on into the winner of the first week of the Halloween Unsourced Wall Extravaganza, which is Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. And I want to just dig into this i rewatched it recently before i even thought up this whole poll contest and it's been weighing on my mind a little bit now i think that this is one of those dc movies that everybody knows about but that no one is really seeking out to rewatch. and i can't blame them i do acknowledge that yeah this is the first attempt at making swamp thing into live action experience and that it had a sequel and that it spawned a years long running show on a cable network so it had legs and the same actor for swamp thing dick rock played him throughout all that time and that's its legacy so it's not saying that like, there was nothing about this movie that didn't have any sticking power it definitely made its mark and it's a pop cultural touchstone at least for comic book fans and people who are follow movies and adaptations and all that kind of stuff so that's good it definitely deserves a little bit of that because it had been something that was a little bit bit more out of its reach and that's where the rub is because it doesn't quite handle Swamp Thing or being a movie as well because my god it is insanely dry now I don't want to get bogged down on it too much because let me just state out what I like about this movie I like the first half I like the first act most of all because you have Ray Wise as Alec Holland you have all these kind of characters that they're developing and you know kind of dread about what's going to happen and they play and handle that beautifully Ray Wise as Alec is insanely likable he's got his real energy to him and you really do feel for the guy and his quest to make the world a better place and he just very playful and his relationship that begins with Alice Cable which is Matt Cable from the original comics and I find that hilarious because they had a really contentious at best relationship in the ween run so that was hilarious where they have the same kind of contentiousness but it's more of a romantic tension angle so like that's great that's really fun if you're trying to you know adapt it into a new kind of sense and in trying to meld things together I can see why they did it this way and it works it really does and it has some of the more eerie moments of the movie I would have wanted this movie to try to be a little bit less faithful and that doesn't have anything to do with like the character itself but the way Wes Craven plays it it's got a very environmental steep angle it doesn't do the wine horror angle it doesn't do more mysticism it goes for this kind of very ecological and very sort of subdued and sedate message and theme to it and I think that's probably where it kind of falters an ecological slant could have worked it just doesn't work here the movie just doesn't feel quite right about it. It doesn't feel like it's able to say more about that message than it tries to. You have the first opening act, which is Alec Holland trying to save the world. And you have Anton Arcane only thinking of himself, trying to save himself, trying to prove himself using Alec's bio-regenerative formula to make himself a god. And you don't really see like the connection between those two because it's made for fucking plants. So like that's good. It's good setup. Yeah, he's not a wizard, but it's still a really sort of hardy conflict that they're into. But then it all changes when Alec Holland actually becomes Swamp Thing and it just grinds to a halt. It really does. Nothing happens in the movie that isn't dry, that isn't bland, that isn't insanely boring. You think that once it becomes Swamp Thing, the energy would ramp up because you're now a different kind of movie. You're a movie with this giant super strong plant monster within it you wouldn't be able to tell because it just feels like okay now it's time for a swamp thing to walk around a little bit 
It's time for Alice walk around a little bit. It's time for another speech by Anton Arcane about how he's a genius. That's pretty much it. That's the rest of the movie. Played out over maybe an hour. That's all that happens within that hour, which then leads to probably the most laughable aspect of the movie, which is that Anton Arcane unleashes on himself and he becomes a man in a cheap Halloween mask. That's the extent of his transformation, which is a far cry from some of the most insane and really creepy designs that Wrightson would do for like say the Unmen or the Patchwork Man or Arcane himself who was an old decrepit man but there was something eerie about him and this is like okay with some sort of wolf mask and we'll just tape some scales to his chest and back and we'll call it a day. That is just so fucking disappointing. The thing about that is that once he takes the formula that turns him into this the interim steps between him and the final cheap mask look were creepier than the final cheap mask look he slowly starts cocooning himself and so the top half of his face being the thing that becomes cocooned and that look it's like kind of bloody kind of mottled looks painful that's perfect that could have been his final form for the rest of the movie that swamp thing fights and it would have been like great but no and then fully cocooned it's cheap and paper mache looking but it's also kind of eerie you can suspend your disbelief a little bit and he could have fought that as well and i would have been like hell yes this is an amazing movie finally but no it becomes like this really slow and very very fumbling final fight between obviously two people who could not maneuver or see well enough respectively in their individual costumes so the first half is amazing if you want setup the setup for swamp thing i think is always important because you want to have that contrasting feel that contrasting energy and atmosphere before you get to the tragedy and there is a tragic element to it but then it just becomes like a really slow and plodding movie i don't know if they really knew what they wanted to do and it doesn't feel like they did i honestly would have gone for something that looks worse in the second half if at least it was a little bit more inventive it definitely had a lot more potential i think the actors were good i can see why they would be motivated enough to make a sequel which had its own flaws i might put it up as part of the poll for next week who knows and i can see also why i became at least a somewhat long series but for for the first movie i mean it could have been done so much better but then that's how first movies are that's how you're doing it when you don't really have anything to back it maybe they want to hedge their bets make it a little bit cheap a little more safer i guess in a way it feels pure b-movie because sometimes b-movies they can have the premise they can have the monster but they spend more time plotting around because that's like the cheap and cost-effective way of doing that kind of stuff congrats to them for capturing at least some of that it's not too long but it does feel it Anyway, that's it for Wes Craven's Swamp Thing. And overall, the movie does seem and feel like it's a huge waste of the Swamp Thing property and all that it could have done. I don't really like or prefer Moore's run as acclaimed as it is. But even that, they could have mined so much from. It seems like a shame. I mean, they don't make a stupid movie out of it. They don't make like an idiotic movie with some really dumb choices. They just don't make anything entertaining. So whether or not that's worse or better, I don't know. I mean, it's no Jonah Hex in terms of making something that's awful, but it doesn't have energy enthusiasm after the first half is done, in my opinion. All right, and I guess that's it for Swamp Thing. Next week, starting Monday, I'm going to put up the next poll, some new choices, some old choices. And if you want to vote for which one I talk about on our next episode then please vote and if you have any kind of questions comments or thoughts that you want to hear discussed on an episode as well you can find me on my twitter at t-h-e underscore s-n-i-c-k-m-a-n a grateful shout out to the cover artist at d-o-t-e-m-c-e-e and a grateful shout out to everyone if you're listening if you send in questions before if you're giving feedback then that's amazing i'm so grateful for that i really am without you there would be no show and 
it means so much. Anyway, NYCC continues, and we'll get more in on that in the final roundup of news next week. And uh, see you then.